0: So what you want to do is you want to get yourself some kale you can find it either growing in the ground or you can purchase it from a place which has already collected it and potentially packaged it for you however you acquire your kale what you want to do? Do you want to stick it under the grill? Salt, pepper, oil—that's your basic. That's that's going to be okay. That's going to be good. But um, you know, experiment. Put a bit of Henderson's relish on it. Um, put a bit of paprika on it. Put a bit of—I don't know—oregano uh, on it. The, the, the mother load um, the, the the monarch of the grilled kale world so to speak is a spirulina and enchovita. and if you don't know what either of those things are get them and try them on a lovely bit of kale Hello and welcome to the Drawing Core podcast. Never have we started before with a recipe, um, but uh, I've just eaten some grilled kale and it, f- it feels important to share that bit of this moment with you. Uh, also, it was a little bit spicy. Who knows if spicy grilled kale is really the best thing to eat before recording a podcast? But do rest assured that it is a nice thing to eat whilst listening to a podcast so i implore you encourage you i i gently coerce you into grilling some kale stop the podcast go out and get some kale but put the podcast back on when you when you come home when you're cooking the kale thank you because thank you for joining you know um I'm very happy that you're here, we're episode 12, that means three months have passed of the drawing. It's very exciting, and I have a little post-it here full of tiny writing, which has lots of ideas, and some of these ideas are really heating up, you know, they're on the back burner, but those back burners, they're getting quite hot, fiery, so they're starting to spit a bit of hot oil, and there's a podcast about uh, masturbation. Which I promised you at the beginning I also promised In fact, I promised podcasts On masturbation, consent And um, divesting of privilege And these three They're starting to spit oil On the backburners They really want to be made So uh, they'll, be, they'll be forthcoming um, But I'm, I'm not rushing those topics um, They deserve a confident podcaster And they deserve the appropriate amount of preparation. So this week, this is a special dedicated podcast. It's dedicated to a friend. And friend, I will not use your name for this dedication. Do not take it personally. Do not take it um, as an offence to you. I don't use anybody's name in this podcast, including my own. Because I wish to create an abstract space of you and I which is this whole ethos of is it an ethos a whole approach of making a kind of voicemail chatting to you like we're having a I'm leaving you a voicemail I think we achieve this if we achieve this by being in an abstract space where I'm an abstract me and you're an abstract you and I can just be free to talk like you're my friend you collective friend and you individual listener friend so this is why I don't use people's names but I mean if I if I wanted to recall all of the people who have helped form the ideas that I'm sharing in this podcast we'd be here a while and we'd also be dragging some people quite a lot into being mentioned on this podcast, maybe they don't want to be mentioned every time I say, "Oh yeah, this idea is all thanks to this person." Um, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm consider me disowning credit from for, for all of my ideas. Um, I, I, I thank everybody else for them. So the dedication to to get on with. It's very easily distracted today. Um, no, no bad thing that's what this podcast is it's a distraction fiesta this podcast is dedicated to a friend who has been a little bit ill but uh, more importantly has been a little bit frustrated with their occupational life and I really fucking hate that um, I, I would I, I aspire to be a post-work anarchist because now i know that there's such a thing as post-work anarchism and so i want to be that i want to be that i don't know that much about it yet but i don't like the way we're forced to work in this uh, neoliberal western capitalist society under which we in vain listen to podcasts hoping that our lives will somehow change because of it so, so I, I want to dedicate this to to you because um, you deserve a half an hour of good crack. Um, you deserve a continuous half hours of good crack. But if I can make one, especially thinking of you, maybe it'll be even gooder crack. You get me? You feel me? So for everyone, for everyone out there listening now who's got a shit job, this is for you although it might not be for you because this podcast is about video games because this this friend to whom this episode is dedicated is a bit of a gamer but this podcast isn't really talking to gamers it might even be talking to non-gamers more but I'm trying to kind of look from an outside space on video games because because it gives me a chance to say something a little bit a different so we're going to do a kind of broad broad look we're going to throw caution to the wind and make grand uh, opinionated statements and, uh, and then we're going to wrap it up quickly before anyone catches us so the, 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 we talked about we've talked about films we have talked about uh television a little bit and um uh, we've talked about other things probably i can't remember now but um games like any other cultural thing whether it be a book or a film or a television show or a podcast they deserve a critic i think it's a matter of respect as they are cultural products so they are pieces of art that we criticize them in ways that we might criticize a book or a film or whatever. And if we're talking post-structuralism, which, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what that means, but as far as I know what it means, it means we can dig out truths in texts, in cultural things, in, in pieces of art, and we can say, look, this is what that piece of art says. And it doesn't matter if it's what was intended or if it contradicts something else the art says we're just pulling out things and we're believing in the multiplicity of truths so there is like there are loads of fucking truths and this is one that i see in this piece of art and it has this effect and we have a lovely conversation about it (sighs) a lovely post-structuralist coffee morning conversation maybe a little cinnamon biscuit because it's getting into winter and oh yeah mmm tingly on the tongue bit of Baileys in the coffee bit of Baileys in the coffee Um, is there vegan Baileys another good question one will return to at a later date so um, what we want to look at when what I want to look at here in terms of like bringing a a critic to video games and hopefully capturing the attention of people who are not usually fussed about video games. I wanna talk about them, their their mechanics. And what I mean by that is whenever you try and, whenever you look to people trying to define what video games or even games are, as well as being texts, cultural things, cultural productions, there's an element of interactivity that's pretty much accounted for in almost all definitions of games, video games, is, is their interactivity. And if you are interacting with, your, with, with the video game, then therefore there's a system of interaction which is represented by the, the mechanics, the mechanics of the game. However, the game developer sets up the mechanics and the rules for the mechanics is how you is the system by which you interact with the game okay? so we're just talking about systems in order to talk about interactions, basically and from, from where I'm sitting as someone who is not particularly invested in current video games as in, I do not have money going towards them, nor much time going into playing them but as an armchair uh, enthusiast I like to learn about what games are being made, what's the crack, what people are talking about the games, game news kind of thing what I see dominant in the games industry, so those games which are marketed a lot, those games which sell a lot, those games which People that like, most popular is um, a, a kind of genre that I would like to call the shooty gunman genre. You don't necessarily have to be playing as a man, but usually, even if you're playing as a female or a woman uh, character, there will be a machoistic element. Um, whether this this can be the, the recently there's been another Call of Duty and uh, yeah as well as as well as the fact that these games have shooty guns, uh, Call of Duty exemplifies the fact that they're often very militaristic. So they're not um, often revolutionary, liberatory ar- armies, but more likely to be actual armies of a say, nation state so but, but this isn't this isn't I'm, I'm not trying to talk for every game and i'm trying to leave a little bit bleedy edges to say that like i do also include some that say fantasy games which are very big such as the witcher or Um, the Elder Scrolls because their mechanics are also about killing and dominating and conquering so the Shooty Gunman games include stabby stabby fantasy man games as well Um, but I'm talking I like to talk a little bit vaguely and a little bit from outside and a little bit from my armchair because we're talking about a general idea, um, so the the, the the thing that I draw from having a general idea of shooty gun man games is that they are they they are obsessed with the, the with the idea of game feel, and people who engage with them and who talk about them are often obsessed with how they feel. So. When you're making a shooty gunman game you are honing the all the tiny bits of the mechanics that allow you to move to look around to fire your weapon to have a trajectory of the bullet and to have a result of that bullet hitting or not hitting its target and then conversely the thing that you're fighting with you have uh, all these finely tuned mechanics of how it it interacts with you, how it attacks you, how you can defend against it, what it will do when it dies, and so on. And this is the, this is the kind of the prime focus, is like the mechanics and how slick they are. I mean, you think about how many games are in the first person view and they are shooting games. First person shooters are prolific, especially in um, the dominant industry in the, you know, in the mainstream, all of them differ kind of subtly by how their gameplay feels. So there's so much attention paid to this and at a cost to what you might call immersion. So let's think about a couple of um, say the, the thing about an example is maps so in uh, some games you pull out your map and everything is marked on the map all the missions, all the optional missions, all the places you can save or fucking get health or wh- whatever is happening in the game everything is marked on the map and you're marked, you're kind of GPSed little blue dot on your map and other games in which you might pull out the map and there's no gps there's no markers it's an actual map and you have to do the work you have to do the orienteering work to apply it to the real world and get wherever the fuck you want to go or an in-betweeny kind of game where you can mark the map so you can look from a vantage point and mark somewhere and then it will be marked on your map so then you can follow that but you have to actively immerse yourself in the map making so there's a greater deal of immersion in this um, in some of the games and the games which have less immersion they become what um, I'm not sure exactly who I'm stealing this term from Um, there'll be a youtuber who um, I should thank for this term they turn into content delivery systems Rather than immersive adventures. So there's a kind of like um, slimming down, a kind of optimization of the game. And as we talked about in the podcast we did about um, Dead Man and about unambiguous films taking less risk with these optimised games they are taking less risk to the point where your character <clears throat> you might have dialogue options so when your character meets another character you can choose what your character says but what we see, what, what I think is happening more is that there are characters that um, you play as and you can choose what they say but whatever you choose it doesn't actually have an impact the other character will still respond in exactly the same way and it's to give you a kind of semblance of choice but without taking any risk that it might disturb your experience the experience is already optimized it's very linear you will enjoy it like this and it makes it very easy for you to do that because the, the most important thing is that game feel the gameplay the kind of context for it diminishes in importance and there are sometimes, video games have these moral systems, like moral mechanic systems, where you can do good shit or bad shit throughout the game and it might have an effect on, for example, which ending you uh, get to see. But if, if you think about, there's a game called Bioshock and in this you can choose either to harvest and therefore kill uh, these little sisters, they're called, um, and then you take from them this magic juice what is good for you uh, or you can save them um, in which case they don't give you as much magic juice then and there but then throughout the game they turn up and they say hey cheers for that and they give you even more magic juice um, but sometimes these mechanics they have like in, like in Bioshock they have sort of insubstantial um, what's the word <clears throat> insubstantial consequences like in the end it's just better for you to save them because you get more magic juice so you'll just do that like it's optimised for that so why would you choose anything else, the morality is not a en- very engaging mechanic again because it's sort of streamlined and it's y- I mean not taking so much risk so so uh, I, I want to kind of a uh, little sidestep here and mention some sim games like sim city or civilization where you play as a uh, a society or as a city <clears throat> and the thing that i want to draw attention to with these games is that um well the reason i want to talk about them is because uh, is because they relate to the real world much more directly like these shooty gunman games can be quite fantastical in one way or another they might try and be hyper-realistic but more often than not uh, there is a limit to their realism like a deliberate choice (coughs) excuse me but when you play as a city or as a civilization, like you are emulating things that really exist in the world, so you can see how you might um, be playing a game which has more social commentary. In that case, because you're playing, you're playing society, so it would tell you maybe more about uh, what the game is saying about the world. Um, And another thing is that these games are not shooty-gun games. Um, These games are more creative, so you have more agency. So rather than the game uh, being very linear, supposedly you can uh, do what you want a little more. But what what I want to draw attention to is that these games are often about expansion, consumption, and conflict. Like, the win states, the possible ways you can win, are very rarely fucking... As an agrarian, as a you know agricultural agrarian society, like that's not how you fucking win. You don't build the best village. You should build a city. These games are capitalistic. There's even the fucking sim, capitalism sim, which is not a joke. Like it's genuinely capitalism. The game. Um, and as an anti-capitalist podcast. Um, we don't like that. The drawing does not approve of that generally. But the point is is that it's a very, again, it's actually a very linear system. You can't win in many other ways other than um, developing in the ways that we can traditionally consider countries to be developed or not. And uh, the other way you can win is by um, conquering. Again, just like the Shooty Gunman games, you're basically conquering enemies. And this sort of um, in upgrading, dominating, destroying is the common sort of mechanic across the shooting gun man games and the, the sim games. And when we look at the sims, maybe it helps us to see in a wider context what that kind of mentality means for society. And it, and it reflects our neoliberal capitalism. It also reflects the fascism which we talked about in another episode, we talked about how this is an anti-fascist podcast because I want to use the word fascist to mean uh, the primacy of one and the domination, sorry, the dominance of one over the many. It's kind of like what I feel like fascism can be reduced down to its basic Um, tenet. But I, I mentioned the militaristic um and almost a fetish fetishistic um relation to military that you see in some games like call of duty um, because that was also something present in Mussolini's doctrine of fascism that war is a good thing that life and death is the choice the choice over life and death is the kind of the you say the The the, the 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 dog's bollocks of decisions. Really couldn't work out how to express that, but that's my best shot. Uh let's skip over that that fumble of expression. The dog's bollocks. Mussolini said that the dog's bollocks of decisions is the life and death decision as expressed by war. That's like the big question that we should be concerning ourselves with as rulers of society so what i'm trying to say is that some of these games the dominant games of the video game industry are a little bit fascist i think so this this point of view isn't a a particularly popular one not because there are lots of fascists who play video games who are who are defending them but because um, most people most most gamers are kind of sit in this space where games are thought of as apolitical, not because gamers are not discerning people but because there's a tradition of keep your politics out of my video game, both from gamers and from critics, and critics have, lots of, some games critics have taken on this guise of consumer advocate rather than cultural critic like one of the i should have said this at the beginning but my main source for a lot of my ideas about this is errant signal and i will link to his youtube channel in the notes in the posting this of this podcast he's one of the only youtubers who engages in this sort of political way that i found anyway and and yeah big mainstream youtubers because i don't i'm not digging super deeply into you know, people who have one or two videos, but uh, he's one of the only people who has a substantial following who who discusses the politics of of games as a cultural critic rather than a consumer advocate. <clears throat> so there's this idea that games are, s- are not really saying anything and there's also a push by the games developers to do that. Um, like even if your game topic seems controversial then you try and evade uh, a definitive stance because it's because it's more risky to do that you know again it goes back to optimizing it for as many people as possible you don't want to rock the boat so you don't fucking you don't tr- you try not to say anything but because you can't help but say something especially with these mechanics that have this I mean, they are fascistic, is, is my reading of it. So, I mean, what are you going to say back to that? You have to engage. You, if you pretend that your game is about nothing, it creates a big cognitive dissonance where you're like, yeah, but it does, but what, yeah, what? And that's not necessarily a pleasant game experience. So I want to kind of move, slide like a, like a slippery eel into talking about some alternatives to these shooty gun games and, and those capitalism sims <clears throat> and the, the, the one big example um, and I want to talk about is Spec Ops the line so Spec Ops the line is for intense and is, is for appearances sake a shooty gun man game the trick of Spec Ops the line is that it turns out as you play the game that the people you're shooting are not who you thought and in fact, you are committing horrendous war crimes against innocent civilians or against your own um, military colleagues, that you don't realize this or you're fed false information or whatever. So it, it, the game has a kind of point of view uh, against the c- casual um inconsiderate approach we have to how much we kill in these kind of video games so it's it's, it's a cool it's a cool commentary, it's not a commentary that you see in uh, Call of Duty Call of Duty is very jingoistic, very celebratory of the killing this is very very hard to play sometimes, it's very horrible horribly guilt inducing and uh, the, the developer said, uh, one of the developers anyway said um that there are two endings to this game. One is the ending where you complete the story and you figure out everything. The second is that you stop playing. And I really I'm quite excited about that answer, that about that comment. That's a kind of radical setup for your game, I think. To provoke people into stopping playing it. The only problem is that you're not really provoked into stopping playing it. Like, the, there's still this tension on the, on the feel of the mechanics which is very satisfying to play. And the, the thing about um, focusing so much on the mechanics of like, making the game feel good when you're killing people creates this power fantasy, puts, putting you in the shooty gunman's shoes this, this in the slightly fascistic way so it, it creates another dissonance in spec ops the line between the the way the story is trying to tell you that you're doing something bad but the mechanics still providing that satisfying gameplay loop it's a bit like i think we talked in the first episode about ranciere uh saying that like <clears throat> there are two ways to subvert something one is to show the thing you're trying to subvert and then take the piss out of it. The second is to just show something different. And in the second one, you don't give any value to the thing you're trying to subvert because you immediately provide an alternative. Whereas in the first, you kind of admit the strength of, that, of the thing you're trying to subvert because you're like, well, we can't take the piss out of it without showing it first. So with the Spec Ops: The Line, it's like, well, we can't achieve this critic of the shooty gunman fascism without ourselves becoming shooty gunman fascists, and putting a lot, awful lot of time and money, and if you're the player, then play time into that, into you know, making us feel like real shooty gunmen. So here's where I want to go back into back to mechanics where we started like the mechanics of that game are not the subversive thing the story is and when you come when it comes to games like the mechanics and the interaction is such an integral part of what makes it a video game that I think what we should be looking for in our video games is mechanics which are different So whether it's narrative games where you kind of play a story or exploring games or investigative games where you kind of just walk around and you discover story or you interact in an abstract way with the environment or whether it's specific mechanics that are designed to say something and I want to give a few examples here. So one would be um, I think maybe the most recent Assassin's Creed game where you play as an assassin, so it is a it falls under my shooty gunman um conversation um there's a mechanic inside that where you can uh, you disguise yourself and if you're playing as a, the female character you can disguise yourself as like, you can wear a kind of traditional woman's getup of the time which is uh, I don't know, 1800s let's say um uh, or you can wear a piratey costume, which makes you look like a man. Or you can wear a. The third one was like maybe um, the, the 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 disguise, the the costume of a kind of peasant woman. Um, whatever the specifics doesn't really matter. The point is, is that when you wear these different outfits, the world around you um, changes how it interacts with you, and it shows you what it's like. And what kind of reactions you can expect to get as a woman or as a man or as a poor poorer uh woman or as a richer woman in different situations in the in the gameplay another mechanic is in the last guardian where you have a big fluffy monster friend uh, called trico and your the mechanic is there are a couple of mechanics one is feeding trico and one is uh, just stroking him and if you stroke and feed trico and you build up a Rapport and you you get to know each other and you become You you share the love then Trico becomes a lot more responsive and uh, during the game. You'll be you'll find it a lot easier to play And and play cooperatively with Trico because you've been nice to him and otherwise the the way that that Trico character Works in the environment is very unpredictable much more like a wild animal um, and the last, the last example is, like, Papers Please, which is probably a very much called upon game in this sort of discussion because um, it's very um, overtly political. You play as the mechanic, is you're playing as a border control agent. So you have to decide whether people can come in or not to your country. And so this has a huge heap to say about borders. Um And it explores them directly through its mechanics. all you 're doing in the game is checking papers and stamping yes or no, adhering to quotas, trying to be nice to people and it sort of investigates the impossibility of this system of borders <clears throat> so that 's kind of that 's kind of my game video game rant over, so what we talked about like. How there is this uh optimization in mainstream dominant video games and it kind of they make them for convenience to feel good and feel fun and often these uh games are, are quite linear in their way of it being a kind of conquering dominating mechanic that is the central piece and other mechanics might be a little neglected for the sake of optimization, for the sake of feeling fun. This is a generalisation, and it isn't also an an absolute rejection. There are still games which would fit into the shooty-gun-man category that I would enjoy playing without a a huge amount of guilt. Like, we're trying to be radical in this podcast, but I think that uh, it's very, it, it it's not uh, in a way of expecting a totality of radicalism from our individuals or from our experience like we like the the dominant um, games in the video game industry they have ability to create uh, video games that other independent developers don't have because they don't have those resources and so you know there is there not n- zero merit to those bigger games but there is a big critic that we should level at those games and we should push ourselves to be interested in, in 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 innovative mechanics that say something you know i'm gonna wrap up there i had quite a lot of energy for that one it was quite good i hope that it, it kind of comes together it's not too difficult to follow or it's not so many generalizations that we go, ah, fuck this guy. It's a bit of fun, it's a bit of crack. Um, if you disagree, that's fine. We can always have an argument um, on the regular social media channels. Take care of yourselves. Um, yeah, just, I'm just gonna go now. I'm just gonna, it's gonna be it. I'm just gonna fuck off. going No ceremony. We don't stand on ceremony. We're gonna leave. We're gonna leave you with a song. I guess that I guess that's kind of a ceremonial leaving. In fact, last episode was a ceremony, and we did close the ceremony with a song. So we do stand on ceremony, is what I've realised. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish with a song, and it's gonna be a super appropriate song for this podcast because it's a it is a remix of a video game a tune. Um, it's a remix of the Great Fairy Fountain in the Legend of Zelda games. Uh, I'm not sure which particular game it takes it from, but um, the remix is by someone who calls themselves Video Game Remixes, and they make quite a lot of video game remixes online, so check them out if you like a bit of this um, slightly funky, slightly dubstep, slightly trappy, base remix of Legend of Zelda tune. Um, there's, there's, there's not much more to say. Um, I won't keep you anymore. Thank you very much for listening. purum uh, sizi. kandane. Be compassionate to yourselves this week. Be compassionate to other people. Uh, I'll speak to you next week. Um, yeah, share this with people if you like it. Please get out there and shout about the drawing. In the meantime, Hadi uh, Bye Bye you. Mm-hmm.